Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We wanted to create something bigger than us. What'd you do? Well, I knew we had a good case. I probably would have sued them, to be honest. I said to Seb, I, I think I just need to get off Twitter. I just can't handle it. I was in an eight-year relationship. It's a long time. You become inseparable. The, the period of my life that I probably achieved the most success, I got furthest away from my actual true personality. I basically got to 29, I was like, I can't go another year. One time I got in my car and literally drove about a mile away and sat in a random cul-de-sac about a mile away and just sat in my car. I was like, I need, I need to not be in the house. Something here. Literally two hours since we got underway here. Jack, Jack Harrison, Harrison is going to get a book. Are you going to get a book? Are 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 going to get a book? Tonight, we'll be, I'll be getting some shots from it, hopefully, the boys bouncing about as, uh, is it, will it be champions or will it be, it will be champions, be, right, yeah, to get yeah. promoted? If we, if we draw tonight, we, uh, hashtag United will be the, the league winners of our uh, Step 6 league, which is going to go up, go up as well, because only the first team go up, mm. so it's pretty, pretty special, I'm pretty nervous actually, I'm not going to lie, I'm yeah, glad, we, I'm glad we're doing this, just to distract me from... what you said when I was coming yeah. in, you were like, you can do with a couple of hours sort of out of your own mind, I guess. Yeah. I wonder what your perspective is on football now, being... An owner yeah. of a football club. <laughs> it must like, you're looking at West Ham a little bit different now. Uh, yes, I know. It's a very different world, isn't it? The level that we're operating at. True, is, true. It's so, so little money in the level we're at. And obviously the amount of money that's at the top part of the game changes everything. Mm. Um, but you do learn some things about players and about mentalities and about attitudes of other teams and how they interact with you that, that you don't really think about as much when you're just playing or, um, or yeah, not involved in the kind of organised competition mm. that we are now but um, it's been a fascinating process I've really yeah. enjoyed it yeah, yeah I bet. well yeah let's, let's get into that in a bit I'm, in, I'm intrigued to talk to you in terms of your whole adult life a lot of it being so, kind of played out on YouTube but also at the same time 
I always think of you as a very kind of professional person and that's kind of been a big part of you throughout and how you kind of behind closed doors kind of had to battle mm. with the with the idea of trying to be professional in whatever you're doing. How long have you been on YouTube? Would you could you say? Yeah, technically um, uh, eleven years, but I was actually on something called Google Video before that, which was a predecessor to YouTube. Yeah, uh, and I was on there involuntarily because I made these little videos in my mum and dad's attic of me basically dancing to songs. They were sort of mini viral as well for their time. Mm. One of them had like two hundred thousand views, which for like two thousand I think it was six that went up. That was that was like pro- I don't know what the equivalent is in today's money. But that's probably like millions of views. What's so. your understanding of that? Why that went viral? At that moment in time. No, to be fair, <laughs> and less options. I'm not taking any credit for this because I did not make them to be seen by I the had public. Something. <laughs> no, no, it was, I definitely didn't have something. That was probably that, why they liked it. It was more that no one had really done that sort of thing yet. You know, just not you know, carpool karaoke or whatever. Even before that, yeah, just people yeah. miming. I was miming and dancing to these songs. It's nothing that clever. Yeah. But it hadn't really gone onto the internet yet. That sort of thing. I'm not saying I was the first. I almost certainly wasn't. Mm. And like I say, I didn't mean for it to go on the internet. But. Um, just the idea of this kid, a really skinny kid, so it was, what, I was probably 16, 15, 16, my mum and dad's attic, dancing to like Don't Stop Me Now by Queen and miming all the words and then getting little props involved and stuff. Did you have those little moments of kind of, uh, of like showmanship, even younger than that, like, you know, five, six or whatever? Uh, to an extent, I mean, I've definitely got middle child syndrome. Um, I'm a middle child. There you go. Yeah. Oh, is that um, a thing then? What's the what? Yeah, it's attention seekers, basically, we all, all are right. apparently, because the, yeah, the older brother or the older sibling uh, he's the first and like the most cherished, so to, so to speak, supposedly. And then the younger brother gets all the attention, or the younger sibling, because they're the youngest and they're the baby and the middle one gets right. forgotten. That's what they say. Oh, okay. And um, That's interesting. I, I used to do a bit of plays and stuff at school. Um, did hospital radio, like 14. FIFA player, was, once I found out it was, it was you, I, I would, uh, please don't take this the wrong way, but you're a lot more straight-laced now than that character. <laughs> and that character was like, felt... A felt a bit it's rock a bit. and roll. He <laughs> felt a bit rock and roll though, didn't he? He's like the lethal injection, like all that stuff. I that was my first introduction into into loving a YouTube character. Oh really? You yeah, because like I kind of I think if you're a football fan, then you find YouTube. You quite quickly find Copper Ninety. Yeah. And at that moment in time, I, I, I was like, like, who is this dude? Like, why is he talking like that? How does he talk so quickly? And I think even now you see it in your commentary sometimes. Don't you? You, go, you drift off to FIFA player, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I always say that the real me is a mixture between Spencer FC and FIFA player. Because <laughs> Spencer FC, and, you know, in, in quotation marks, is a character as well in a way, isn't it? Everyone plays a character on YouTube. You even play a character on YouTube whether you mean to or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because absolutely. no one's completely themselves on camera. Yeah. And um, it's very, very freeing, actually, to... Especially when you actually have a mask, particularly. Yeah, you actually hidden identity, and no one knows, as they did at the time, who was behind the mask. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. It's quite cool. And I, my background was I've been doing stand-up comedy for a few years before that. And I had done uh, a few things at school. We had like a comedy club at school, which was my first involvement was, in that. Was the stand-up, was it a similar feel as FIFA player? Uh, I got a lot more nervous with stand-up than I did FIFA player. Yeah. Maybe because I was younger and I was newer to it. And, mm. and doing stand-up definitely helped me in everything I did post that. What was the reason to go, uh, okay, right, there's all these different things, stand-up? 
Uh, I'd um, actually there's a couple of reasons. I uh, the school I went to for sixth form had this really cool thing called the FDL, which was this basically it's supposed to be a debating society, but it's completely run by the students. It's student elected, and it was basically a comedy club, and you took the mick out of your fellow students. Right. And uh, it's like the perfect audience to get good at that sort of thing from because you're doing it in front of your peers. You don't want to mess up because mm-hmm. you're going to get mugged off every day at school for it. So it's really good. And then so stand up was a natural follow from that. And then also I wanted to do radio, so I'd done hospital radio at school was going to do student radio at uni mm. and I saw people like guy who I know now quite well but I didn't at the time Tom Deacon who just won this uh, event called the Chortle Stand Up um, Student of the Year and he then went straight into Radio 1 off the back of it so my thought process was I think I could do stand up and it might help me get radio yeah, yeah. Did with this guy so that's why I got into it because I think we're, we're similar in that sense that we like we both love our football and I think we both saw that traditional landscape of what a presenter is and what a pre- how you become a presenter. So for me, it was like the things I saw. I saw Dermot O'Leary. Yeah. I found out that Dermot O'Leary was like, he was a runner first. And, yeah. Uh, and so, right, okay, I need to try and become a runner and that's your, your way into it. Like, yeah. And, and so for you, I did the same thing, thing pretty much as well. Not, and I, I do remember Googling Dermot O'Leary. He's actually from not far from me. He's from Colchester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, thinking the same thing and I did running I did all that stuff before I got into copper lightning or anything like that so yeah probably quite similar once you got into online did you think okay right this is where this is where there could be a few more opportunities definitely not at first because as I say I've been doing it for quite a few years even before I finished uni to Mm. no real avail Uh, going back on what you just said though there was one thing that was quite interesting that came from online which was I made this YouTube video to audition to be a T4 presenter. So they were doing this. I did the same did one. So, I so, did the same one. No so way. I got, okay, I got, my thing got picked and I went and did this audition. Yeah, me too. And That's so, so weird. Maybe it might be interesting they might have said the same thing to you because I always remember what they said to me because I, I don't think I did the audition very well. Right. I, I don't think, um, I knew as soon as I walked in there, it wasn't for me. So you have to do like a one minute thing? The, the, the thing on YouTube is just like one minute yeah, like yeah, yeah. spiel. I did the exact same thing. And then uh, it's still oh, private right. on my channel somewhere. Yeah. And then, um, I got invited to do this 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 sort of face to face thing in yeah. the Princess Studios and um, Princess Productions, and which is a really weird place because it's in like it's a shopping, shopping center, center. <laughs> yeah, no, Bayswater or something. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know what T four is like? It's not even around anymore, I think, is it? But no, everyone but on there it was the, it was one, one though, wasn't it, at the time? Because it oh, had a, a bit Simon more charm Amstel. to it, right? Simon Amstel, yeah. Alexa Chung, big fans of them. Yeah, so yeah. But yeah, usually uh, like if you're not them the generic kind of T4 presenter, or maybe you could say presenter in general, is this like great looking, like almost clothes horse that says what I need to say, which I didn't know I wasn't at that point. Yeah. But I went in there and the first question they asked me in the audition, which to this day I still think is a ridiculous first question for an, an audition to be a presenter, is what's your style about my clothes I was wearing? Right. And I remember just thinking, I've got nothing to say about that. I don't have a style. <laughs> I'm not like well, that guy. And wearing. the funny thing was, I was wearing a jumper with a wolf on it. <laughs> Oh, and, geez, and I went to them, well, it seems that my style is, uh, is jumpers yeah, with wolves right. on them at the moment. And I, I remember them thinking like, yeah, and me thinking, even when they asked me that, I knew my answer wasn't good. But more importantly, I knew that I didn't want to be asked that question. I was like, I don't feel comfortable in the situation. Yeah, yeah. I think I should, why should we be judged on that? That's interesting. So, um, sorry, just because I, I went through the exact same thing. Is, was there a big queue of people outside? Uh, there wasn't a big queue, but there was like a few of us waiting in right. the thing, yeah. So I, I had that and there was quite a few people. And I remember getting there and thinking... Everyone's got makeup on, yeah. men or women. Everyone's got fake tan. Everyone's got white, really white tea. And everyone, all, like one in four people have got a hat on. Like a weird <laughs> little, like, be a bowler hat or something like that. And they're, they're all, it was exactly like that. And I remember trying to do it myself and you kind of, 
you do walk away thinking, yeah, I don't really, I'm not sure I really. Think I knew I wasn't going to get it, but more importantly, I, I think I knew I didn't want to get it. Yeah. And uh, years later, you you know a guy called poet, obviously from Copper Ninety. I remember meeting him, and he said to me because he's much more kind of the more traditional presenter route, if you like, even though it's not traditional. He said, um, I don't want to be a presenter, I want to be a personality, which I thought was quite interesting, or stuck with me, because presenter, you're often just reading an auto cue. Nothing against anyone that is a presenter, by the way, so it's not an easy job to do, and there's a lot of credit to them, but yeah. it's not, so I didn't want to go and just read someone else's words. And, and That's so funny you say that. Oh, God, that's weird. So I had, so I then got into, I was in TV, and I remember uh, there was a, there was a director I became mates with because <laughs> I didn't realise he was a director, and no one else... Um, spoke to him the way that I spoke to him, but I thought he was just some bloke. And he, he basically said, he was like, oh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to be a sports presenter. And he went, waste of time. You're wasting your time. You need to get, you should be in entertainment or something like that. And I went, well, I don't think it is a waste of time. And <laughs> we then got into this, not arguing, but like, he was shocked the way that I, this runner was speaking to him. Mm. And from that, weirdly, he, we became friends. But he said, he was very clear, and he worked with Ant and Deck and Dermot O'Leary and all these people. And he was saying, he was saying, don't be... Don't be that guy who is just reading something. Make sure, at the very least, you're writing those words yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that you're reading. And I think this, again, is probably before, before the YouTube thing had blown up so, that, so much so that people recognised it and were like looking to get into it themselves. But even at that stage, if you look at Ant and Deck, they are exec producers of their shows. Yeah. They're not this... Um, they have a lot of presenters now, TV presenters, and people thought that, okay, right, cool, this is, this is going to be fine. They're slaves to the producers. Mm. They're slaves to the channels because they don't own anything that, they've, that they do. Yeah. And as someone who was a producer, you would go, all right, okay, so we need someone for this thing. Oh, let's get, yeah. let's get Joe Swash. He's lovely. <laughs> He's so much nicer than the other lot. So let's say Joe Swash gets the job, even though he maybe isn't better than someone else. And I, I remember thinking that myself, thinking, I'm not getting any opportunities here. Yeah. This is ridiculous. And why am I not? The reason I was, by that point, I wasn't getting opportunities because um, it was about Twitter followers at mm. that moment. And so, so for you, when you then started to create your own audience, and, and I guess that, was, that really, really started to kick off after Copper 90? After leaving uh, it was during was FIFA player stuff. Yeah. It was... Um, because uh, at first, that was quite a successful show at the time, but yeah. no one knew I was him. So I wasn't, like, benefiting. I was an, an employee at Copper 90, so I, got, I didn't get paid any more because FIFA Play was doing well. Not that I'm saying I was no, worried about that, but yeah. I, if I didn't do it, it didn't make a difference didn't, to my yeah. salary, if you like. And I, I wasn't doing it for money, but I, w I wanted to at least know that if it stops, because they could pull the plug in it any minute, I could go somewhere from it. If mm. no one knows it was you, what can you yeah, do? Yeah, yeah. Um, so did you feel a bit, how did you feel in that period of time? Did you feel a bit frustrated? The thing is, I loved the character and I had yeah, helped yeah. create the character. So I believed it was right for the character that no one, so I wasn't trying to change that because I felt And it's still early on for you and you're cracking on, aren't you? Yeah, really? I just wanted to know there was some sort of progression or whatever. And, and, you know, um, but that, that was the kind of catalyst. And then people started to figure out because they found my other videos that I'd made. I still had like a football channel. I had like a football betting channel back then, actually. I used to talk about betting. Uh, I was quite into it at the time. And... Um, People, some kid made this video of like, found a video of people playing like this and saw a freckle on this arm and then found a video of me with the same freckle and was like, it must be him. But then no one really cared enough to look at that video. So yeah. But um, that was a catalyst for it all. And then obviously once the FIFA player stopped and I, did, I started being Spencer FC, mm. it kind of escalated. But that was a big gamble for me because I, I thought it might go the other way. I thought 
people might not be interested in me if I'm not, you know, being a dick playing FIFA. Some would argue I still am, but um, not as much. And uh, but luckily it went the other way, and in it I was able to free me a little bit to do different things, and mm. then it started to take off. And that was around 2014. So then, the that whole FIFA era, it's just I mean. It was, it just kind of blew up, didn't it? I remember Casey, Casey Neistat talking about like how it's, it's the hardest, hardest amount of subs to get is that first 10K. Mm. Then it's easier to get to 20K than 10K and so on and so on. Yeah. Can you remember where you kind of were and what kind of ages you were at, like, say, 100K, 250K? Yeah. Where were you at 100K? So I had my personal channel, which still exists now. It's called Spencer Owen. It was my first channel. And I think... Before Copper 90, I started to have a little bit of success, actually. I missed out a bit, which is I started making these football poems. And I made a video called The Premier League Poem, which was my first video to get, like, maybe 100,000 views, I think, it got at the time, which was massive for me because I had, like, 500 subscribers. Like, wow. no, no real following. It just got shared by a lot of football websites and stuff. And I kept doing them. So I had that, but that channel was in the low thousands, probably, maybe, maybe 10,000. Um, then I started the FIFA Player channel, which then got changed to Spencer FC. So I think I was on about 150k subs, or maybe just under that, before I switched to Spencer. Right. So I'd gone through a lot of that as FIFA okay. player, and I had a huge backing from Copper 90. You know, they'd paid for the series FIFA player on Copper 90. I'd kind of done all the work for the FIFA player channel myself, mm-hmm. but character wouldn't have existed without them. Yeah. And so I, I, I could never profess to have done it all my own, if you like, in that sense. And I often say that to people, and they're like, "How do you go from watch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone needs a thing. It could be like Joe Willers was KSI sharing his video, or whatever. Like yeah. everyone has a thing. Yeah, totally. And my thing was was you know my job at Copper Knightley, being in front of the right people, convincing them to take a chance on this weird show with Chad playing FIFA. Yeah. Um, well, no, there's, there's no less value in that. You know, I, I think that's that's part of it as well that people kind of forget. There's this kind of um, what was the phrase I heard the other day? It was like hustle porn there's this idea that people were kind of going you do you you don't need anyone else just believe in yourself blah 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 that, that may be true and there's an element of that because you need to like you need to have belief in yourself and all those things you also need to get along with people yeah you also need to do work selflessly on on certain things to again get that trust in different people you also have to you know, you've got to do all those things as well. Because if you're just a dick who just believes in themselves... I think I had my moments, to be fair. Anyway. I was in that category. Yeah? Definitely ruffled some people out the wrong way at Copper 90. Um, I was very... Were you very different then? I was hired that? as a, a guy who knew football YouTube because I'd made my own football YouTube channel. Not a massive one, but I'd done the football poem video and I had a little bit about me in there. Right. And I knew the guys from Copper 90 because I'd worked for... Uh, their sister company was a community manager on a social media role on their football computer game before. And then they'd been the, the year before that, I'd worked for Vincent Company as a social media guy. They'd introduced me to that. So right. I knew the guys that had just won the pitch to have Copper 90 really well. And um, I cared a lot about it. And everyone did, obviously. But I maybe cared too much at first. And I'd be quite forceful in my suggestions to people. Oh, really? If someone didn't, I thought someone made a mistake. For example, I remember one guy, like, first video we ever made, like, Months and months of planning had gone into this channel. So much money had been spent. And the first video, the guy who was in charge of it, who shall remain nameless, but uploaded it for like the wrong title and thumbnail. It was like, we'd had months to do this. And I, we were in different offices at the time. And I remember running to the other office and just going, what the heck? And this guy was older than me, more senior than me in the business. And I was probably way out of line. Mm. In my head, I was like, I'm trying to get, I know I'm right. Like, I know I'm right because he's yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. And it should be, I was maybe very honed at learning how to, sp- learning how to speak to people in the workplace. <laughs> and I had a few... Uh, 
chats with people about that. Right. But um, that came from a good place. Yeah. It came from me, and I don't think I lost that was entirely. That a re- was that not a regular thing, but that was that a, a weakness of yours that you were kind of like, maybe the intentions were right, but the way it was coming out was... I think the best way to put it, someone else, put, my mate put this, is that I didn't suffer falls very well. Right. And, I, and I'm, I'm not, I think I have mellowed out a lot, and as probably does happen with most people when they grow older. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted all the right things and I, and I was very keen. I remember one time I did get pulled into the office and, and one of the guys, senior guys there, he was went, Spence, what's wrong? And I was like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm great. And he was like, you just seem like you're in a mood with everyone all the time. And I was like, well, not all the time. I just think, um, I was like, I, I, was, I couldn't quite understand what his issue was. So I was like, I'm the one looking out for your thing. If you lose, like, if I stop doing this, it's all going to go to shit, trust me. Right. And I was like, you know, I'm... I should be rewarded, if anything. And I, I, as, with time, I obviously learn, you know, you can do all the same things I was trying to do in a better way. Mm. Um, and I guess, you know, the years that have passed, you, you know, you're, you're a boss yourself now. I think that's the, probably the biggest thing in terms of the difference between a good boss and a bad boss is how, how they communicate to their, to their staff as yeah. much as any, making the right decisions for everything else. Well, I'm not going to sit here either and say that I'm a great boss, to be honest. It's not something that I enjoy doing, like managing people. It's not, I, 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 one of the reasons I left Copper Nightly was I was in a position where I was managing people. Right. And I um, Did you thought, this is for someone else to do. Like, I, I don't want to do this. Like, nothing against the people I was managing. I wanted the best for them, but like, people coming to me with their career problems. I was like 23. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing in my own yeah, career yeah, yet, yeah, yeah. I was like, I need to focus on this. I wanted to do more creative things. I felt a little bit trapped in that. And I felt that if I went down that route, I'm sure there was money there. I'm sure there was opportunities there, but I'd just be doing stuff for other people. And not me. Ultimately, that's why I think it helped me to be my own boss because mm. I, I could use that energy that maybe was wrongfully, wrongfully channeled in an environment where there's people I didn't necessarily agree with doing the right things or trying hard enough or whatever I yeah. never had that problem yeah I was always very driven. You, yeah so when I put myself when I actually literally put my career on my own back and said well I've got to make this work I didn't I didn't uh, have anyone holding me back mm. but having said that fast forward a few years when we first started having employees just showed you in there the room that this house used to be the office mm. I'd, I had loads of instances where I'd probably speak the wrong way to and you have to remember a lot of people that worked with me in the business and some still do were like close family or friends so it's really awkward when you've got an issue with them. Yeah, but I guess that's a that's a dangerous that's a dangerous setting anyway because you know you're always going to be family, especially you and your guys. You know you're so so close that you then that almost gives you carte blanche to kind of be moody or be harsher or be rude because you you know your brothers. Yeah, but yeah, like it does. It, it goes both ways, doesn't it? Though? Yeah, because like. You can talk to them in a way you wouldn't talk to someone else, but then you're, they're the one people you don't want to hurt or piss off. And it's like, I can't remember who said this to me. Someone once said to me, you're not supposed to like your boss. Someone said that to me. It's like, to be a boss isn't supposed to be, it's great if you can be friendly. It's great if you can have a boss you can go down and have a drink with and all that. Mm. But that's not what they're there for. It's not what you're there for. They're there to, if they don't run the company, they're running it for someone else. They're there to make it work. Succeed. Yeah. And you're there to get wherever you want to get to in your career, maybe with that company, maybe you're going to leave at some point. But their goal is not to be your friend, and your goal, as much as it's great, is to do well in your career. Yeah. But that's hard when you're the boss of, or, not, or you're working with, you know, your brother or your whoever. Mm. So you don't want to not be liked. But yeah. Sometimes to get stuff done, particularly when you're in a small team, hasn't got a lot of money. You know, even now we've never outgrown our resources as a company or hashtag, I should say, because we didn't go like some of these companies start with a lot of money and then they can create it from that. Yeah. That's what Copper 90 was. It was a load of money given as a Google Originals channel yeah. to go and fund it. 
I'm the opposite. I was no money, no help, and then I'd only hire people when I knew I had enough money to pay them. So I had to go the reverse way, and that creates certain pressures and stress. And I definitely would say it didn't always bring out the best of me. I think yeah, there's, I've worked for big companies and and small companies, and the difference is is that um, when you've got you ca- you have the you have a better opportunity to do things right with a bigger company. But it doesn't mean that you will because often te- people can hide. Yeah, people yeah, and yeah. it can be all a bit flabby whereas you're when you're starving <laughs> when you're a small company and you're starving what might actually happen is you just haven't got enough like cogs to keep the machine going or they're kind of getting overstretched yeah but generally you'll actually get a bit more out of it and as you know as someone who's you know you're going through your 20s and you're trying to kind of learn your way in this field as well it's you're going to learn a hell of a lot a lot quicker, right? Yeah, and, and you can move quicker as a company, especially in the content world. You can you don't have to get things approved by ten people. You don't have to do a lot of the things you have to do in, in the bigger companies or production companies. So, mm. but yeah, I think uh, I'm actually reading the book uh, by Phil Knight, the guy who created Nike at the moment, called Shoe Dog. Um, I haven't oh, finished yeah. it yet, but I've got a feeling it ends well. And um, <laughs> but it's all, he's at that point at the moment where he's just started the company and he's got lawsuits and he's all this and you're like every day he thinks he's going to go bust and he's having to explain to his wife and his kids they might not have no money and you're thinking, man, how crazy if you could tell that guy that you're going to, the guy that owns Nike in a few decades. Mm. Um, so yeah, every, it all starts somewhere and yeah. I definitely learned a lot in that period, not not just about business or, or work, but about myself and what I was good at and what I wasn't good at or what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. Right. You know, I had, cause I, so what I, were those? Well, what I've always those? had a duplicitous like job in the sense that I've got my own stuff is in my own YouTube channel, whatever. I've got my own career things that I want to do, like presenting and things that I've gone and done externally from hashtag. And then I've got hashtag, which is a huge thing and which took my over my life. It's still a huge part of it, but now I've got more people to help me. Yeah. So I'd have instances where I may be going away. I'd gone away for five, six days to work on some EA presenting thing. And they're long days, great days, I love them. Yeah. But you know, they're long, you're on air for like 12, 13 hours, four days in a row. And you get home and you're knackered. But they're weekends as well. So you gotta get home. I'd be in my bedroom upstairs on Monday and I'd have seven people in the f- underneath me working for me because yeah. it was all in the house. And yeah, of course I could just, they knew my, my situation. None of them were like knocking on my door asking me for stuff. They were all very respectful. Mm. But I found it very hard to relax in that environment and be like, um, I'm gonna give myself two days off now because I didn't have a weekend. Sometimes I hadn't had a weekend in months. Mm. By that I mean just some days off. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna allow myself that time. I'd be like, no, they're down there. They know that. I'm up here not working, I need to be down there, I need to be in my office at least, I've got another sort of room that I use in an office, know it, and show that I'm working or else it's not a very good example I'm saying, but it's like, it's not healthy to think that way, because I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing three businesses essentially. Mm. I've got, a, at that point I was, I've got a, my own you know, personal opportunities, I've got my own YouTube channel to, to maintain, and I've got this football club, which is also an esports club, it's all these things, trying to do so much things, and it's all at that point for the first sort of two years, or just under two years of the club, was all, answerable to me it's like not healthy and no. I'm not gonna lie I had some moments one time I got in my car and literally drove about a mile away and sat in a random cul-de-sac about a mile away and just sat in my car I was like I need, <laughs> I need to not be in the house really because it was an house and an office so in terms of wow so yeah there's no escape no because I, I guess that's the other problem is like, you don't hear about that side of no well, that's it and I think that's what I, I'm interested in, in finding out is because with, with success comes greater uh, ambitions your perspective changes. You know, when you get to, a bit, when you get to 100k, you kind of go, hey, and then you just look up to the yeah. next thing. And it's like that in every single thing. So f- for you, in terms of 
starting up hashtag united as much as it was uh you know just maybe a creative decision initially i mean i, I don't know that I, I don't i'm guessing it probably wasn't actually but if, if if it was initially and it wasn't that something that serious naturally once it then does well you then you're an ambitious person you want it to become bigger and bigger but as things get bigger and bigger the capacity in your mind must you must you're gonna run out so it must be difficult to keep that balance yeah i mean the the there's a, it's really easy to to look back on things and connect dots that maybe weren't there at the time but i can tell you how hashtag came about once my brother got on board and started working with me we Which had an older brother seb both yeah both worked for us but seb sort of was more on the business side of saunders was kind of helping us create great stuff mm. um we wanted to create something bigger than us. We didn't know it was going to be a football club. We didn't know what. We said, how do we create something that we, we don't know how long this YouTube bubble is going to last. We don't know how long people are going to want to watch that stuff. Mm. How do we create something that is essentially something that worst case scenario we can work on and, and be paid from that company to yeah. exist. We had loads of different ideas, loads of different thought processes. I was simultaneously interested in esports because I've been doing some presenting in esports and I'd seen what I thought was the potential for FIFA. I had this idea to do a game academy series, which was like, the Apprentice, to find a FIFA player. Um, and I'd just done the first Wembley Cup. And I decided, right, I want to do something about football, a football club. I'd always, my background is, I started a football club when I was 16 with my dad, a lot of the boys that played for Hashtag, went and got a grant from the local council to do it. Like, I was very much that guy that was super busy and probably annoyed all my mates for asking to play football all the time. Um, I had followed my dad's semi-pro team, East Thurrock, one of the first co football content I made on my other channel with the now manager of Hashtag, who was the assistant manager of yeah. Historic at the time. So all these things I'd shown that I was interested in a club and I'd always said my end career ambition was to own a football club one day, but I thought that I was going to be at 60 after hopefully having some kind of successful career yeah. and I'd buy a non-league club or something. That was like a thing that may or may not ever happen, but it was like a thing I'd like to do. Just like my brother wants to retire and play golf every day. Yeah. There was the <laughs> thing that was there in, in the distance. Yeah. And I was like, okay, First idea, which we binned very quickly, or say we said binned, <laughs> was I decided um, I wanted to just, I, I was in the, I had obviously done right out of YouTube and I had some money and I was wondering whether I should invest in property or get a house right, or whatever. Yeah. Yep. It's not something I'd ever grown up thinking I'd do at that age. You're told that they're safe investments though, aren't you? Like yeah. Like that. And that's why I don't really did it, but it wasn't something that I needed to do or wanted to do. It wasn't like a need, it wasn't a passion of mine. Yeah, of course. And I thought at one point about buying, I was looking online for these dilapidated old football stadiums and I was going to buy a stadium, so it's as cheap as I could find, like up north somewhere, as cheapest area I could get, move there in a caravan and make my whole channel from that point on about trying to renovate a football stadium <laughs> and, create, and create a football <laughs> team out of that stadium from nothing. And I was like, how cool would this be? Like, this, everyone can follow, follow the adventure, this guy's the football club that's, that YouTube built, all this stuff. And I thought it was this amazing romantic story and I put all my money into it and everything. And then Seb just went, you'll be living in a caravan, mate, you'll hate it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Nothing against caravan. I love that you kind of got so excited by the idea that you just kept going and going and going down it so you had it all planned out. When right. Seb came to talk about it, it wasn't a discussion. It was I was telling him I was doing it. I was saying, I'm doing this. Seb was like, you're not going to do that, mate. It's a bad idea. He sort of taught me around. Same way he taught me how to get a tattoo once for FIFA player as a punishment. And he taught me, I was confident I was going to get it on my bum. 
and Seb was the guy that told me not to get my bum, I'd regret it. And he was right, right. I got it on my foot instead. So is that the, that's a good dynamic then that Seb offers, is that like, you know, that perspective, that kind of, yeah. that head that can go. I might, no, sometimes mate. I'm a bit overly romantic and I'll go too far with an idea yeah. and he'll just go, well, and Seb was very crucial in that. So we've been to the stadium idea and then we thought, okay, let's make a documentary about Semi-Pro Football Club. Let's try and get a brand. We've just done the first Premier League Cup. Let's try and get another brand to give us some money to buy a semi-pro football club and take it up a level and like make a whole documentary series about it. How cool would that be? So I was really interested in non-league and all that sort of stuff. And then we thought, we can do that, but we're always going to get stick for taking over a club and maybe changing it a bit. And, and you're only as good, it only works as long as the brand continues to give you money, because these clubs cost money. You know, like even non-league clubs, some of them are losing 100 grand a year, yeah. and they're never going to see that back, and they only survive if that owner has the whim to I, give them money. Yeah, I would, I would say it's almost up to like, 80% of football clubs that like they often it's just a chairman who yeah. wants to be the guy yeah. for, a, for a season or two they go there they spend they waste all their money they go hang on a minute this isn't this isn't really worth it and then they, they go none of them have sustainable models no and um, so we decided we, we pitched that idea we pitched that idea to some brands and said look do you want to give us some money to do this some were interested mm. but it was like I, I, was, I was never really fully committed to it because I felt like I wasn't ultimately in control of it because if that brand I couldn't find someone to sponsor it season 2 where do we go with it yeah. so I was like well, look, we just said look people have watched me and a lot of other YouTubers and, and you know very low level because the Wembley Cups got progressively better in football level the first year was pretty poor uh, football wise mm. at Wembley, at Wembley uh, Stadium like 20 million people had watched that video yeah. maybe not so many at that point and um, I was like, right, how do we do that more regularly? Well, no, I can't get those guys together regularly. It's too many of them, too expensive, logistical nightmare. YouTube as well, you got no chance. Can't get Wembley every <laughs> no week either. Ch- Forget that. Just getting those guys out on a Saturday or Sunday morning when they're hungover, it's just not yeah. going to happen. It's hard it? enough getting them to come to Wembley, to be honest, <laughs> which is ridiculous. And um, uh, I am always available every single year <laughs> until my groin's back up. Yeah, he's the core group that are, like Chris MD is a legend, he's always like, <laughs> wink up at Wembley again, yeah, yeah. I'll be there, he's, he's well up for it. So we, we said, well, let's try it, and my, a friend of ours from that team that I created at 16 had just died, who died a year or two before, my dog's actually named after him, Joey's named after my mate Joe, and um, we were doing a memorial game as we'd done a few times with his friends from uni and our friends from the team, and I said, I'm just going to film it, I'm going to take any money I make from the monetization of it and donate it to the Clean the Charity, but also I'm going to use it as an opportunity to say to the guys, would you like to see this group of mates play again? Because it's all the boys from Hashtag, the yeah, original yeah. team. And they, they did, they liked it. And then we basically, all these things came together. I had this Game Academy thing happening. I was like, well, I can make this a football club and an esports team. I was involved in So you had that idea right from the start that there would be, it would be an esports team as well? Yeah, and we said it at the start. It's, it's as much an esports team as it is a football club. That's really, Unlike, that's really impressive. Say like the Man City's and the West Ham's who I'd helped get involved in esports. Are always going to be a football club that maybe has an esports team. You know, like Galatasaray, I've got a basketball team, but mm-hmm. they're always going to be a football club. So we're both at the same time equal. Wow. And um, Hashtag Harry was technically our first ever signing of any kind because we didn't have any, any signed any players at that point apart yeah. from the lads I'd already played with. So, um, and then, yeah, Seb had a really important idea. We, were on the, we actually had it all set up. We were on the train to go meet Umbro, who are our first kit provider, sponsors, to design the kits. And we didn't know what it was going to be. Mm. We, we knew it was going to be something, but we didn't know how it was going to work. Oh, so you had the meeting first? The meeting, well, we, we knew it was going to be a football club. And we yeah. had a meeting, they were going to, so Umbro had already got introduced to because they sponsored the Game Academy series. So there's all these things coming together. Right. I was like, do you want to help us do something even bigger than that? And this football team we're going to create. And on the train up, Seb had the, we were like, how do we, it was January, right? We can't join Sunday League. I didn't actually want to join Sunday League. I played 10 years of Sunday League. I love it. I still play it now. Mm. But, 
there's already people doing that and they've done a good job at it. Mm. Like the Palmers lot and all those other guys, loads of others have come up since. So I think it's mainly Palmers at the time. Yeah. I don't want to just recreate what they've done. Yeah. Uh, I want to film it in a certain way. It was very important because one of the things we were, one of the first people to do on YouTube was film football to a, not match the day standard, but not to a guy on the sidelines with a camera standard. We had yeah. multiple camera setups and we took it really seriously, like we had in the Wembley Cup. Mm. And I want us to have never get games called off because I want this to be a regular thing. So obviously you know how much you get to the league games called off. So how do we combine all those things? We have, we have to be able to play on 3G, first of all, so the games never get called off. We have to be able to play games whenever we want to, so we can't go in another league that tells us what to do. And we know we can get good opportunities because we've been offered them before, like stadiums and stuff. Mm. So we need, we need to be completely flexible. And um, Seb had the idea on the way up on the train, he said to me, why don't we base it off FIFA? And I was like, what do you mean? Because I'm making all these FIFA series, I'm doing a FIFA esports team why don't we make the use the division structure from fifa where we play other teams they don't even know they're in a league with us but they are mm. we're trying to get certain points and we can create challenges we can create rewards and i was like literally said to me at the time you've just you just made the club like, Mate, at that point and that is such an integral element of it isn't it that that like you say it it connects a lot of the dots of your, the two channels and that's a massive choice not going into sunday league and, and one that what I'm kind of realising with you, chatting to you now, and I was saying at the start, I'm intrigued to kind of understand you a bit better. Control's a big thing, isn't it, for you? And so even with that format, you know, you've got the Copa 90 element, the, the wanting to have the standards that you want in terms of how it, how it comes out, the ability to control the fact that you're going to play every single two weeks, all those elements of control, it shows that that allows you to make the product that you want, which is ultimately... Well, great product it comes well. from a couple of things. It comes from one, learning a few lessons earlier in my career where I wasn't ultimately in control of something that hurt me or hurt, hurt my ability to do it well. Mm. And wanting to be in charge of my own destiny. But then also, just from a purely content creation standpoint, like you, you're not going to get, a, 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 not, not that I'm comparing what we do to a film or whatever, or Game of Thrones or anything, but you're not going to get these huge productions that go, right, we want to shoot a, a location uh, in, in a castle set up, but... Um, we can only work on the dates this castle is available. It's not going to be available for six months, so we'll just won't film it for six months. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, you, you just make it happen. Mm. You find a way of making it happen. And that's what we did. And we got a lot of stick for it at the time from people who were like, well, it's not a real league. And yeah, we definitely cared more than some of our opponents about winning the game, for sure. That's, that's why it was good. Yeah. Like, and our audience cared about us winning the game. And we, our third game was at Wembley Stadium. You know, our fourth game was at Man City. Our sixth game was at Upton Park, one of the last ever games. Like, we could never have done that in mm. Sunday League. But that's why, it's, that's why it was such a clever move for me, because so you know, with Ball Street, we've done, uh, we did the Family Cup the other year. We've kind of, it's it's an idea that often when you see a new idea, you go, wow, that's exciting. And then you think about how, you know, how could, how could other companies get involved in that? Or how could you, because there's a lot of football channels. The thing that, the thing that's always a difficulty is how do you make people care? Because ultimately you're creating, you're creating entertainment that people need to get involved in. And it's story first. It's about the story. And so if people don't care about the characters or just as importantly the situation that they're in that's why we're all enthralled about man city liverpool right now because there's something because yeah. it matters so playing friendly after friendly after friendly after friendly it's not enough is it no we we said even in our like when we were pitching it to sponsors and stuff we said we're going to create entertainment format out of it we said we're never going to tamper with what happens on the pitch the pitch will all we will react to what happens on the pitch but we will be creative with things like and uh, motivations for what happens if you win games or things like this. So like, you know, we, when we, um, 
one, I can't remember what division it was now, maybe division three of our five division thing, we got to go to tour to America. Yeah. And, you know, what you don't see on the camera is I'd committed a lot of money personally to, to pay for that tour before we got a sponsor. So luckily we got a sponsor for it, which made it break even. Right. But I was going to be paying for it and it was going to be nowhere near as cool as it would have been if I'd paid for it because the sponsor allowed us to do more stuff, play more games, etc. Mm -hmm. But like, it would have all been cancelled if we hadn't won the game. Like this is the thing. Oh, like, really? I, it was. It <laughs> no was. It way. was on. The, it wasn't like. Oh, if we. I said if we get if we get this if we get this division, we'll go to Amer we'll go to America on a tour. But if we don't get it, we'll just go anyway. It was like no, they have to earn it. I ha and I have to. I'm playing in the team at this point. So, so like, which game is this? So people can go Palmer's back. Game, and I think it's the Palmer's game that got us it. Was, oh it was really? The last game I think in Division Three. God, and like there was enough spice in that anyway. Yeah, I can't remember if we told the players before. They were playing for a tour. I think we just said there was a reward, but we knew, Seb and I knew what it was and what they'd miss out on if we didn't win. Wow. And, you know, there's always stuff like that. Stuff like that now, tonight. Like, the boys don't know if we win the league tonight, what I might do as a reward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, and things that they, they probably wow. expect there's going to be something. Bloody but, hell, yeah. that's... Because, yeah, and I think, <laughs> annoyingly, that game, maybe another game you could have gone, guys, can we just... Like, if it's a different kind of friendly game, you could go, look, let, let's play two 30 minutes and we'll have the second one. No, the, only, like the only thing like but that... It's Palmer's, you couldn't. That was, such a, that, was such a, that was a massive moment in YouTube. Yeah, people we were excited to we had, see. We had 500 people there as well. So it was like, you know, that was funny because there was a whole um, backlash to that, which I think I've got into another podcast before and me and Smith were on good terms. It's yeah, all yeah. fine. But... Um, at the time, we weren't, <laughs> and there was a backlash, and there was a lot of camp, both camps sort of hating each other, and our guys saying one thing, their guys saying their thing, and the accusations being thrown back and forth. Something I've never been able to fully um, shake, for whatever reason, since the first Premier Cup, that I somehow try to alter the games I'm playing. Like, I've never got involved in it. I mean, you've been involved in the series. Yeah, I saw I, I, Ball Street played hashtag, um, and yeah, you absolutely hammered us. In fact, when I, when I got a goal disallowed against you. It was one of the best headers I've scored for offside, which wasn't offside. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, and... Uh, no, look, yeah. the Wembley, the Wembley look, trust me, the Wembley Cup, there's certainly there's no, nothing like that. And, and uh, look at my video about the Wembley Cup game, uh, which was against F2. I was fuming at uh, Dermot Gallagher for not, you know, you know, not sorting us out. So, and who were we playing? So there's a like, there's a lot of, uh, what, what's what's so basic about football, and that only only really has come into focus in terms of YouTube football, is there are people cannot deal with sport and competition sometimes. Certain people, and I, I really am not picking out specific names here because it it happened in the Fan League Cup for us. It's happened in. Uh, players on my team in the Bull Street hashtag games, happened in the Wembley Cup. There are people that once, as soon as it becomes competitive, mm. you just lose the shit. It's bizarre. Yeah, I, I think mean, that's something that you've done, you know, going back to that first word of professionalism, I think you've done really well to be able to, to keep your head with all of that because you are always a target, aren't you? Yeah. And you're finding out that out, I'm guessing, this season. People will never know the stuff that happens behind the scenes for many reasons, but like, if you asked anyone at EE or Pope, the agency that helps us do the Wembley Cup, ever since the first Wembley Cup, I've sat in the meetings, I'm going, guys, I need to lose this Wembley Cup. I've said it every time. Now, like, don't be confused and don't think I'm going to try and lose it. Because yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to try and lose it. I'm still a competitive guy. Put me on a pitch and I've course, got a team. I want to win. Point, yeah. But I've said, so like, for example, the first year, and, and a lot of it is involving the F2 guys. The first year, we couldn't split up the F2. And that did make our team better than the Sidemen team mm. on paper. It was, that was probably the most imbalanced ones we've had in terms of teams. Right. There was reasons for that. The reasons we, I said, give them to the Sidemen then. Because I wanted the challenge. Mm. We couldn't give them to the Sidemen boys because how the series works, so you have to remember like when 
the brand gets involved or whatever and they want to make something they want to make they want to make an engaging series they want some amount of views across the series etc how do you get those things we create this this storyline it's all the only sort of thing we little narrative we created in the first one we cut was this thing about Manny being a um, turncoat and like being on our team then going to which again we learned loads from because Manny got us a stick for it and I was like really? I thought people knew this was like a WWE type storyline that wasn't yeah. real we just that was actually from a complaint from the other side that the teams weren't fair so we were trying to make him fair us we were like, what if we give you Manny so do you know what I mean so we're always trying to do the right thing for the content yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, but yeah the F2 boys couldn't be split up that was their call like, they didn't want to be on separate teams so he said, can we give them to the Sidemen? But our team was made in the series. The Sidemen team, obviously, for a number of reasons, we couldn't get them to come to all the shoot days. Mm-hmm. So how do we can't have the F2 boys involved unless they're in the team I'm building. Yeah. So that's why they ended up on my team. Second year, I said, give the F2 to the other team because the F2 basically is who everyone thinks will win. Yeah. Especially when it's just YouTubers involved. By course, far, yeah, the better footballers out yeah, of the yeah. YouTube guys. Yeah. So um, I said, give Joe Weller's team the F2 boys. That way I won't be considered the favourite. So it won't be look like I've sacked it in my favour. And if I win, it's an amazing achievement. If I lose, I lose. Yeah. And what happens? They both get injured. Oh, yeah. Yeah? So we then have to try and fix the teams. We took Jimmy Conrad from our team, gave Jimmy Conrad to the other team, etc. But then it's like, I obviously, what can I do? So how, how do you feel? Because that is one word I've got written down here is opinions. Because you've, kind of, you've been in this world where you, everyone, you want comments, you want opinions, you want engagement. That means you've got to deal with all the opinions and the comments and the engagement. Yeah. And how, how have you evolved in terms of dealing with that over, over the years? Are you chilled about it now? Have you always been chilled about it? Have you had moments where you've kind of, it's got under your skin? Definitely have had moments. The whole Palmer's thing came from that, really. The, the Twitter, essentially. Like the, the, I always say, you know, football, Sky football match doesn't have a comment section. You have Twitter, whatever, of course, but it's not on the game. Mm. And it's not on the place that owns the broadcast rights to that game or whatever, where it feels like it's more like part of the show, yeah. which it is on us. So that's and great. I'm not complaining. I want people to have opinions. Um, that's the good side of YouTube as well, that there's, you know, sometimes you get an, you can get amazing comments from people that yeah. make your day as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. Right? Yeah, and it only hurts when... Um, I don't mind getting criticism. We had a lot of criticism for the Academy series last year, um, which was hard to take because... Part of me felt some people were right. It was like, for example, we decided not to let Jamel win because he was a YouTuber and he was going to win the vote, essentially. It's unfair. And the other guys, what we should have done is not allowed YouTubers to apply. So we took that on the chin. We admitted fault on the screen and off the screen. We said we're going to sign Jamel anyway. We got a bit of stick for it. But I don't mind getting stick if we deserve it. Mm. And then I go like, right, how do I learn from that? We've got a second series starting soon. We're changing the way the process works a bit. Um, But when you get stick that you know is unfair... That's when it's hard, and you're like, well, and your ego kicks in. You're like, I want to defend myself. I want mm. to say what I want to say. Yeah, I definitely had moments like that throughout throughout the time. You know, we've, we, I don't even need to get into it. I think I got into it on the True Georgie podcast. Yeah, like we've been called things that are completely ridiculous. Well, do, well, let's talk about the process then of it, because that's the, you know that's the point. Um, just to finish that point, yeah, I say I definitely got used to it. It's something I always say to anyone that plays for hashtag now in the future. Like you have to be on board of it. You can't react. You can't. You can. You can reply in a, in a mature way mm. and not be brought into the games but you can't let it get under your skin because you don't know who's making those comments I've come into face to face once or twice with a few guys that have admitted to making certain comments and right. you know, they're, you, they're all, often kids that you know they're often 
just got their own stuff going on in their lives. And it's like, good luck to them. If it makes you feel better, I hope we can create a world, and we're still very new in this internet world. People are still getting used to it and how you yeah. should react on it. One day where people don't feel the need to hate on other people uh, un- undeservedly. Mm. But I just think what's going on in their life that makes them want to do that. I hope they, hope they feel better. Well, that's it. I mean, that's what I was going to ask in terms of, you know, the process of, of, of dealing with, with that and you get it and, and you read it. Is, is it just a count to 10 moment, is it, for you then? Yeah, I mean, the sad truth is, like, Twitter, for example, is a, one of my, well, probably was my favourite of the PlayStation platforms as a, as a user uh, for a long time, but I definitely had to limit my use of it. Once I got to a certain point, I just thought it's not healthy for me to, to, to actually read all the mentions or really? to actually interact with people for whatever reason, because it just puts you in a bad frame of mind sometimes. You're just getting stuck. What, because, because they're offering negativity or what? what why is uh, it there was a, a period during the whole football Twitter thing, which seems to have died down a little bit now, but um, there was a period where, like, you know, if I went on Twitter, I just have X amount of people calling me these names, completely undeserved, not even has said anything. Mm. And, like, it doesn't matter how mature you are, how at peace you are with your own personality or your own kind of moral compass to know you've done nothing to deserve it, that will make you feel bad. Yeah. It's just, imagine just going on your phone, and not everyone obviously has that many followers, so they're not going to get that many tweets. So imagine just going on your phone, opening your WhatsApp or a text message. And just having loads of messages from people you don't know calling your names. Mm. It's not going to be good for your mental health, is it? No. So it took me after a while. I was like, I just need to stop using it as much. So I, I, I just... Uh, it, it must, it must yeah. be tricky for a second because you kind of go... Part of you is like, I've done, I've done nothing wrong, so I should still be able to kind of use this platform or, like, or, or just wash it away. But, and I'm guessing here, it, there, is there a moment where you've just got to go... This isn't good. Like even stepping into that room's not. It's not good for me. So yeah, I still use it, but I don't read replies as much. It doesn't. I mean, to be fair, that was a period of time that didn't last. Mm. It was all like this group of people. The intensity of Twitter as well is just like different yeah. level, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely the most negative of all the platforms for mm. sure. Um, there's much more positivity on some of the others in terms of interaction. But the um, I actually remember in Kiev last year, Champions League final was the day that we announced we're going non-league. It was a mental day for me because I was there working for BT Sports. So I'd done my own stuff to do, uh, to worry about. And then it was also the day we got announced and we got a bit stuffed because we'd even been introduced to the point of going to non-league by these guys from the Essex Senior League, which is hopefully the league we're going to get promoted to tonight. And basically, we were all told we were going to be ratified with the FA. And then the first we heard, they were putting us in another league, which is basically games in Birmingham, was the day they announced it to the world. No new information for us. No, like, by the way... Because our stadium was in North London, which also falls within the barrier of a league that plays in the Midlands, as well as the league that plays in Essex, we're going to put in this league, right? right. First of all, that's a bit of an ambush. Second of all, that's quite big news when Hashtag United gets announced to go into non-league. As you can imagine, there's a lot of opinion on it, positive and negative. Yep, I remember Third that. of all, the reason we were going down this route is not just because we're Essex-based club, we went for the Essex Senior League, it's because Essex didn't have a Step 6 league. It was created from fresh. So not only were we coming in as a new club, not taking anyone's spot, anyone's history, we were not taking a spot from another team because everyone in that league was new because teams had come down, teams had come up. There's a few other new teams in that league as well. So was that so going into, let, let's get into Hashtag United now in this season and the, the starting point of it. Is that an element of the kind of, again, the story carrying on in terms of just knowing that you need to level up now? You know, you'd got to a point where you'd, you've, did you feel like you'd exhausted that storyline a little bit and you needed to create this new storyline? Is that, was that the thought process? And then from the, then on, how did it come to be? When we started doing the hashtag in the first place, we always said to each other, like, we'll just do this for 
as long as people want to watch it or as long as we can play because we we're all of an age even my friends were like 28 at the time 27 Shibs men's were all in the 30s you, know, you, know, you only have a certain like people going mental when Dan Brown retires and shit he's like 35 with three kids like and he's travelling two hours to he's still got it like, but he's not no but do you know what I mean it's not weird to think he's retired it make, makes a lot of sense yeah, yeah, yeah. our goalkeeper's 41 yeah he will never retire like, Jacko no well, hopefully not but the um, the so we're always going to have to retire at some point and it was like okay we got to a point where we didn't know where we could go with it like yeah we've done tours we could keep doing them we, but we'd finish this division structure which like had you uh, seen a dip in views or anything like that well I'd moved stuff to after I'd always planned mm. at some point to put it all on another channel yeah so we started the hashtag channel because that's the vision of making something bigger than playing bigger than me right? yeah. exactly that could be com- completely if you're a football club you know if you're a football club and you want football fans that are going to potentially one day only support hashtag or whatever you can't be on a channel called Spencer FC and even though I'd get more views at that point on that channel it could never grow the way it could grow on my channel and it would allow my channel to do other things as well. All these, sorry, just to start, all these decisions are like huge decisions in, in, from my perspective. Do you take them, is there a lot of worry over those decisions or do you just calmly go, well, no, this is necessary, this is necessary to, no, to continue to, to get bigger and better? I wouldn't say I worry about them, but I just felt it had to live on its own merits. I was trying to create one of the best things we've done, which isn't something that you put in a YouTube title, which people would care about and click on is become sustainable as a football club. Like, that's not, that's an amazing achievement. I know how amazing that is because I know every club we're coming up against isn't. Mm. I know how many staff we have. Like, no other club we're coming up against have that many outgoings. People talk about the sponsorships we've got, but we've got much more outgoings than any club anywhere near us. Um, And to be sustainable, to know that we're not losing money is massive. Mm. And that's, that for me was a, a huge thing that we had to do and I knew for us to be a sustainable football club we couldn't be built on a model that required it to be on a channel which wasn't the club's channel. But even the fact that like for you to put that investment into something like that and you know the, those quality standards of it I get the feeling that you more so than a lot of people that I can think of in YouTube maybe maybe the way that Brian talks and Lawrence talk about you know say uh, you know the things that they do that you you look you really are looking you've got your head up and you're you're looking like well down the road, and I think I think that's a real uh, great taking for people to have, and I think something that I want to have myself in, in what I want to do is that actually the next step and maybe the next three steps are it's not as important to look at that. It's actually more important to look what is the like final destination, and then especially in the like the landscape that you've worked in in the last ten years, you've got to be nimble and calm enough to go. Well, no, but I'm still trying to get all the way over there. So I'm just going to go right for a second or left for a second yeah. to try and end up being where you want to be. Does that, does that make sense to you? Does yeah, that, does that the, feel the, right? Like I say, it's always easy to connect dots back. Who knows what would happen if we left it on my channel? Yeah. You know, we, did, we did get a hit. We did get a reduction in views when we moved to that channel. Right. And, and I think that was, one of the reasons I was happy to make that step is I felt it was going to happen anyway. Because I felt that we had used that, that creative idea up. Okay. So I was like, okay, we, this would be a good time to go. We were starting to take on countries. Um, territories really from the Kanifa region because we knew but even when we were doing all that we called it pre-season because we knew something was coming but we hadn't got ratified to be in that league mm. to be non-league until the day it got announced we right. could all be pulled away from us so am I wrong then in saying that you are looking that far ahead no I knew what we could do but like I could have got to May and then I could have got a phone call in Kiev or something and someone could have said from the FA we can't be in the league for this reason mm. I knew we had what a good case know? well I knew we had a good case so I probably would have sued them to be honest 
because I knew we were we irrelevant and we had the permission from the league that was setting up. Right. And I would have, I don't know if I would have sued them, so to speak, yeah, but you know, I would have, it, yeah. I, I didn't, I, there, was, there was precedent. Mm. That's what people don't understand. Like, you know, yeah, because we went in step six, normally you'd go in at step seven. Mm-hmm. We were going in step six because there was a new league being created at step six. They needed teams and teams in exceptional circumstances had proven this before. AFC Wimbledon went in at step five. FC United and Manchester also went at step six. These were brand new clubs, correct? They did not go through the, you know, the rigmarole yeah. going to Saturday football through step seven. We, nor did we. Mm-hmm. Always give great credit to teams that have done that. We had proven, there's a, there's a number of like boring logistical reasons why we shouldn't have gone at step seven. One of them is safety. Yeah. So you have certain structure and certain guidelines for how big a ground has to be and stuff for step seven. Step seven is park football, essentially. Yeah. And we had case studies of thousands of people turning up at our games not going to be safe. Great, it's great for us because it helped us cut a step of the process out, but it was all based on logic. Mm. And th- they'd have to dispute that logic to dispute our claim. So I, was, I felt comfortable, but yeah, it's hard to deal with some of these people, some of these organisations. It's not always like the higher guys at the FA, it's often volunteers that yeah. just want an easy, easy life. Well, even if you look at media, which is generally quite a forward-thinking area, you've got, you have battles there with, well, you've had battles there. I think now people are understanding the power of online and YouTube and all those things. But people in football are often so traditional in their ways of thinking, and it can be re- and stubborn. Mm. And I can, we imagine, told, I can we only were, imagine how difficult it is. We were told we had to change our name as well. We were told we had to change our name because it's not a place name. And I said, "Where's Port Vale?" <laughs> I didn't know what to say to that. Amazing. <laughs> and also, we went, in, by the way, we went into was a that league. On the phone, or? Uh, <laughs> if it's an email, we went into the league. That has a team, no disrespect to these teams, has a team called Fire United, has a team called Lopez Tavares for the Portuguese guys, which sounds great. Oh, where's Lopez Tavares? No, it's the name of the owner. Right. The owner of the club is called Lopez Tavares. So they're saying that I could call the team Spencer FC rather than call it Hashtag United, essentially, because it's the name of the owner. Yeah, there's all these names of clubs, and I said, so this is the reasons why you can't make us change our name. Mm. And they, they back down. But just to go back to that original thing, I'm in Kiev, and I find out we're getting put in this other league, which is going to make us have a two-hour commute to every game, and it's taking a team spot, the one thing we didn't want to do. So what we're getting, all this stick from not only people that are always going to hate us anyway, but we're taking a team spot, we've caused someone to be relegated. This, and I worked so hard to avoid this, I might have never even explored the option of going non-league if that was the point. Right. So I'm like, I'm getting all this hate, or hashtag getting all this hate. And just, just to be clear, it's the minority. A lot of positive as well. Yeah. Loads of people are loving it, but you, you focus on the negatives as everyone yeah. does. There's somewhere to go. That's the problem as well now. You know, there's not like people just go, have you seen this? Let me talk it down the pub. Now yeah, they can yeah. li- at you and literally like direct it straight at you. And I felt ambushed because it's supposed to be, and it's still one of my favourite days in the whole thing, everything I've done, the day we got out to go non-league because it gave us a future. Mm. And um, yeah. I have this terrible mindset as a result. I was like, I can't believe this happened. It's so unfair. Like we've, we've made it so clear what we wanted to do. We've operated in all the books. We've played all the game properly. Mm. And this gets happened to us. And it's, it's almost certainly just an administri- administrational error for someone that doesn't understand, understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. But you can't, I was like, can we appeal this? Can we fix this? Luckily it got changed, right? Which is great. So why did it get changed? I don't, to this day, I don't really know the reason, but we were lucky because our league was new and there was teams coming in and out of it all the time that there essentially was a spot, it was yeah. 17, and we became the 18th team. Right. But who knows what would happen if that hadn't been the case, and I, yeah. don't, I don't know for sure, but the reason I brought that up was because I remember that day, I had all this stuff going on, the Champions League, all this stress online, I remember coming out and I was getting all this negativity, I said to Seb after the game, I was like, 
I, I think I just need to get off Twitter. I just can't handle it. I can't handle like this stuff that I don't deserve and that we don't deserve. We all work so hard. We're all just trying to do things the right way. Why do people feel this way? And he was like, always going to be people. He said something like, there's always going to be people like that. You can't, you just have to live with it. And I said something to, I said something to him, like, probably a bit dramatic. I think I'd had a beer or two. I said, I don't know if that's the world I want to live in. <laughs> I think what I meant by that was that I might just sack it all off. Yeah. Know, I think, but I think Twitter-wise, but... I think when you're, like... That, that's the, one of the pitfalls of, you know, when you're the face of something and your intentions are good, for it to be seen the other way is really upsetting. Really upsetting. And I think that's something that we have won some people over with this year who realise we are just an ultimately very positive thing. Like, mm. there's no downside. I'm saying this as a football fan. Like, as someone who's been enrolled in non-league for a long time, like, we're bringing young people to the, the scene that desperately needs it. We're yeah. basically, like rejuvenating the bank accounts of every team in our league because of the amount of people that come to away games for mm. us, which is great. I'm really happy to do that. And um, we're just adding an interesting storyline to it, an age-old tradition. Yeah. Like, what's the problem? And it's, it's interesting because, I, I, you know, coming here, I was thinking, I've always been very impressed that you've, you continue to sort of tread into new ground and get on with it. And people, from my perspective, people throw stuff at you and you can't just keep calmly going forward. But I think that's interesting for people to find out is that, it's not... Yeah, I'm not just sitting at home going... It's not like... No, yeah. It affects you. It does affect you. But again, that is, that's the battle of being professional once again, isn't it? Yeah, but, and then, but, I've learned a lot of things. Like, I learned a lot from the Palmers thing. Um, I have had loads of moments where I've come close to saying something or saying something I feel like was really... Like, I came... I, I, mainly because I always remember at school, uh, certainly the first few years of secondary school, like, I wasn't the most popular kid get picked on a little bit and I always had an answer. That was my thing. Like, uh, yeah. I, if you come at me, I'm going to give a better comeback and I'd make everyone laugh and you wouldn't have a go at me again because mm. my comeback would be clever yeah. as well as funny or whatever and that was my sort of thing. So people respected me for that. Even if I wasn't their mate, they would stay clear of yeah, me because yeah. I could embarrass right. them. Interesting. So when you get older and you do stand-up and you do things, obviously you, that becomes a character trait, yeah, yeah. character trait of yours. So it's so easy sometimes to use that when someone says something to you, which you know you've got the moral high ground and you've got a good reply. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I could kill this guy right now with a response. But um, it's not in the best interest of anyone. What is it, to get some retweets? Like, you see it all the time. I say it to a lot of guys in, in the FIFA esports scene now. EA get a lot of stick and their game gets a lot of stick. Some of it, some of it deserved. But um, so many of these guys take on this role, they think they're crusaders trying to improve everything, but mm. they're just really trying to get retweets. It's like, you're not, you, you, as well as that retweet, are you, as well as that tweet, are you writing an email to EA about what's wrong, and you're going down the proper routes, and you're offering your services to help them improve the game, or are you just doing a tweet? Yeah. Because you need to get retweets, and that's what they're usually doing. That's it, I, I'm, I'm really looking at those replies, um, not on the face value of them now, I'm looking like behind them, mm. and going, where, like, where's that come from? Where's that? Like, oh, yeah, I got one the other, uh, other day on the, the Holloway video, and I was like, but when I looked beyond it, and I was thinking, God, that must be a horrible place to be. Yeah, you got the time to do that. Okay, bye. Yeah, but it's it, but it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it that much easier. But I, I, I'm intrigued to see how the world goes when it goes when it comes to social media and that kind of yeah, wanting yeah, yeah. those comments and things like that. Because I think that what what would be a real shame is if you get to a point where you can't, people end up like turning away from it totally because there is, there is a, a real openness about YouTube as someone who's a smaller creator right now. I really, I really enjoy seeing the same names of the people that kind of, they've been yeah, there yeah. right from the start. It's amazing. Oh, and I sometimes, 
because I've still got some of my other channels and I don't upload a lot on them, but they're still quite small uh, in, in respect to my other channels. So like my Spencer Owen channel, I'll go on there every now and then and you'll like see how positive the comments are. And it's one of the great things when you're smaller is you haven't had time to find the haters yet. Yeah. And you do find a point it is, a, is, a, is a changing of the guard when basically the haters come. Where was it for you? Uh, probably around hashtag. Well, it, it wasn't, I don't think it was because of any one thing. I think it was because of numbers. So I got a massive influx of subscribers in the first Wembley Cup. Right. I, I got, um, I don't want to get this wrong. I think I got something like 500,000 new subscribers in about three weeks. I was, right. the, I was the third most subscribed to the channel in the world for a three week period. It's mental. Yeah. Is like, that fun? Is that fun checking it's it crazy, again? It's yeah, crazy. But you have yeah. to remember, these guys have not come for the stuff I've been doing for two or three years. Yeah, they don't know your backstory. And they don't care necessarily yeah. about FIFA videos or, or me talking about who's going to win the World Cup or whatever. Yeah. They've come to watch the Wembley Cup, which is great. And I've, a lot of them stuck around. Mm. And that continued to happen. But unless I just do Wembley Cup videos and then sit out for the 11 months, um, they're going to have to put up with some other stuff. <laughs> and the people come across and they have opinions. Yeah. And then when I started doing anything... This is Scott Pollock. <laughs> yeah. no, that was the really the catalyst was numbers, but also anything I started doing mainstream football. Mm. The minute I started to, which was always my ambition, you know, I never thought I was going to create a career in making FIFA videos. That was always a means to an end. Yeah. And um, the minute you start delving into that world, there's a lot of strong opinions and there's a lot of people who don't want you to go into that world. Mm. You, you, you know, actually, i tell you what, it's probably the Ozil versus Payet video. That was the one I think might have actually, t that's when football Twitter started getting on my radar when I made a video saying that Payet was better than Ozil. And obviously Arsenal fans are the people you don't want to upset. And I'll, I'll be honest, that and video was... they're a strong was, force on YouTube as well, aren't they? Yeah, and that video was tactical. Like, I thought, this will muffle some feathers. I, I believe everything I said in that video at that point in time. I didn't say anything I yeah, didn't believe. Fire, but time. I literally thought, I was doing this series called IMO, and I thought, what's one that's really... Because some of them do better than others. So what's one that's going to get some... And I'm more than happy to be... Have people disagree with me. I yeah. say that at the end of every IMO. What do you think? What, what do you think I'm wrong about? Let me know below. Someone comes at me and goes, Spence, I don't think you know anything at football. I think your opinion is wrong. Uh, I think you're wrong for these reasons. I'm like, fair enough. <laughs> Maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I, yeah. Never, I never said I am the expert. No. And I said, this is my opinion. That's what football is. But if someone comes at you and says, you want your family to die and you've yeah. got can you, you get cancer, you're like, oh, what's going on, pal? Yeah. So um, that, was the, that was the day, I think, actually, it all started to change and some, some negativity came in. But I, I learned a lot from it. How do you feel about football now after being, a, being an owner then from this season? What, what, would you, what is your perspective of... Yeah, of football now. Has it changed? Have you learned anything new? Do you feel fan, differently about it all? From a fan perspective, I definitely care less about the top level of football. That's just purely because I'm so involved in the level hashtag around. That will blow people's minds. But like, what I've been... I'm not saying I don't care about it anymore. No, I'm no. just saying I lived for it before. I'd watch every game on TV. Yeah, yeah. You know? And I still love the big tournaments. I went to Russia still for the World Cup, watched every England game. Like, I still love that. But, but I think I, people struggle to understand the worth sometimes of non-league because yeah. well, what's the point if you're not going to be in the Premier League next season? Yeah, so and that's also not how uh, I, again, probably annoyed some people when I made the video launching hashtag into non-league saying that we were, I think I said something like, because I was trying to educate the, the viewers who don't know about non-league where we were in the structure. Yeah. And I was like, so just to clear, we're, we're nine promotions away from the Premier League. And I said, let's be realistic, it'll probably take us 10 years. As a joke, right? <laughs> Anyone that knows anything about football knows we'd need millions, yeah, hundreds of millions of pounds yeah. to get anywhere near that. And you don't, which we don't have, wouldn't you? Really? Yeah, yeah, we definitely need a <laughs> You know, unless, unless someone starts watching a lot of episodes of Wheel of Fortune, <laughs> right? So um, I said that mainly to educate 
people on the structure, but also yeah. to have a little joke. And I am a guy that dreams big, and who knows what could happen? We could get a new owner yeah. one day. Do you know what I mean? So, but our actual aim as a club is to be sustainable, even if we stay in the league we're in right now, mm-hmm. forever. Mm. So yeah, that, that that was a thing. West Ham. I'm obviously a huge West Ham fan. I've had a season ticket for four or five years. I've used that season ticket three times a season because yeah. they always clash with hashtag games. Yeah, and, and that does take precedent. I'm, I'm happy to admit that. I'll get some people say I'm a plastic West Ham fan, despite the fact that I'm a season ticket holder. I don't know how that works. <laughs> but um, because I chose West Ham over hashtag, but like, this is my club. This is my bitch and my mate. Literally your club, it. yeah, yeah. And, you know, we could play West Ham in FA Cup one day. It's possible. Do you, how do you feel about the, the tough decisions that are, will naturally come as the years go on? Things like, you know, new managers, contract deals, all those things. Are you, does that excite you, that, 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 that part of the job of being an owner? Or do you think that's something you were saying earlier about, you know, I'm good at some things, I'm not as good at other things. Is that something you would well, That was off? one of the funny things I remember, actually, this process. is um, I was sitting on this table uh, a year and a half ago. It was actually an esports thing. I was negotiating the, the esports guys' contracts. There's one lad who uh, ended up leaving. He's a good lad, in good terms with him, but we couldn't come to agreement because he wanted more money than we could afford. And he, and he could get that money elsewhere. It's a lot of money in it. So it was just trying to work out whether there was a way we could do this deal. And I'm sitting at this table. I'm getting really annoyed by it, right? And I'm like, oh, like what can I do? Like, oh. I'm thinking, like, oh, I just want to get out of this. In that frame of mind, but you forget how sick your job is for a second. You're just like, annoyed. Yeah, of course, of course. And I, st- and I said to myself, oh, I just want to relax for a bit. I'm going to play some football manager. And I went, hang on. For fun, I want to go and play a game, which is a simulation of what I'm actually doing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how, how, how mental is that? I was yeah. like, and that was made me just snap back and go, there's going to be times where are annoying, because that's how life works. And so you can't get all the negotiations you want, or the deals you want, whatever. Yeah. But at the most, at the, at everything at its core, I have to just remember, this is the thing I do for fun as a game in real life. Yeah. So I'm like, I can't ever forget that. And so that's something that helps me a lot. If I ever have a stressful thing, the period, I just say, I'm this playing real life football manager. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get my favourite game growing up that I played, who now our sponsors. Yeah. As a kit. Like, That's crazy. Um, so that helps me a lot if I ever have a low point or anything. But no, negotiate, I look forward to them, you know. I always try and, hopefully I can, I can practice what I preach. I'll often be the first to make a video and say certain things about um, when Leicester sacked Ranieri, for example, and have opinions on that. And it's a different thing when you've got to actually run the team. And, mm make decisions like that. So hopefully I can be the person that I want to see in football. Mm. Um, in terms of your know. long-term career, what, because um, there was uh, El Clasico with, was it 11 Sports? Yeah. I thought that was like incredible. I thought you did brilliantly. And I think that's, that's a really kind of scary thing to go and jump into. You're now getting more and more experience with the eSports thing. And, and uh, a presenter I used to work with always talks about air miles. And I think you've got so many air miles. A lot of them, have been in been in your room, but that that gives you that gives you a certain layer that then you can take on to. I remember your pieces to camera for the Wembley Cup. I'm going, fucking hell, he's, he's done. All right. He's learned. That's a long piece to camera. Those little yeah, bits yeah, that you've done. Long, yeah. And so then to move into that that uh, moment of punditry, leading a show, having someone in your ear. How did you find that experience? And is that something that you kind of, for you, away from hashtag for a second? Is that where you see your career going? Do you want to go down that route? Because I would imagine, was that one of the dreams right at the start for you? Yeah, it's interesting you talk about air miles because I am someone that came to YouTube with some air miles, if you like. You know, like, like you I did, like right a lot it, of people yeah. did. Like, not just that, you know, I'd done two, three years of stand-up. I'd been a presenter. Course, yeah. I presented festivals and 
gigs and random game shows and all these random things, some of yeah. which never worked out. So those live shows, that's you learn a lot in those live shows. Yeah, so I'd done stuff and I that helped a lot. And it meant when I did stuff for other people and I'd usually for the first few years of presenting if it was commentating esports or whatever, I'd get the same mark. I'd be like, you're actually quite good at this, because everyone expects YouTubers to be terrible. Yeah. And I'm like, I used to take it a little bit as an insult because I'd be like, I mean, this was my job before YouTube. I, mm. I used to be paid to present things and I used to do things like this. So mm. it's like, and then I, I realised, okay. So when it came to the, when it came to uh, doing the um, the big one, El Clasico, I didn't, I wasn't doing anything I hadn't done before. I've done it many, many times, auto cue, many times someone talking to me on my ear, all these things I've right. done. The thing I was aware of is the setting was quite big and I felt that night that I was not just doing it for myself I felt like I was doing it for YouTube like without getting too overdramatic but I just felt no, like I, if I, I messed yeah. up in a big way it was going to be a big news article the next day YouTuber messes up so yeah. I was like can't mess up so other people get opportunities as well yeah. and, and so as, I felt as someone who wants to follow in those footsteps I want to do those things I was, I was like go on son yeah. <laughs> like, this is great because people have they've not been looking this way and they should, they should have been a lot sooner, I think. Yeah, and, that, that, and, and that, when I went full-time on YouTube and made a point, of, and I wasn't making enough money, I wasn't paying my rent, that I felt I could, my thought at that point in time, which is 2013, mm. I thought, best case scenario, get some subscribers, get a following, and someone like TalkSport will come and give me a job. That's what I thought was what I'd get out of YouTube. Because mm. people weren't doing what I'd been able to do at that point, it just wasn't possible, you couldn't do it. Yeah. So it took me a year or two before I started to think, oh, maybe I don't actually have to come off YouTube, or maybe I can do it online, or mm. maybe, I, excuse me, maybe I won't do it for those traditional broadcasters. Maybe I will, who knows? Yeah. And um, that was quite important kind of thingy. And then I went through a whole different journey, which was right, so then I decided, right, sort of it's me against the world, I'll do it all myself, see if they can stop me sort of thing. And so I started making, a, I made a podcast, I made a live show, I made a game show, all these different things on my channel. Mm. Great experience, great air miles, like you say. Yeah. But so stressful when you're writing the theme tune, singing the theme tune, and being the main guy. Yeah. And I hated it. Like, I wouldn't say I hated it, but the podcast. It's too much, man. After about five or six, I think we did about, actually, we did about 12 episodes of the podcast. Really happy with it. We're number one on iTunes for a few um, weeks. And then it got to a point where I was so, I'd used up my kind of catalogue of people I knew I wanted to get on the podcast, my close friends, people I knew in football that I thought were interesting stories. And there's a lot of pre-production work to be, keep it going. Mm. And I was like, as much as this is cool, and I think it's a good product we're putting out, it's, I haven't got time to do the work and I haven't got the resources or didn't have the person working with me that would help me make it continue. Yeah. Which all these guys end up having, like the guys that do now successful long-running podcasts, they have help. Of you course. Know, and you have to have help. Yeah. And, um, and you just watch the Joe Rogan podcast, which I know is a huge uh, inspiration for Shoe Geordie. And he's got that guy behind the scenes who's constantly doing stuff for him. You know, I had none of that. Yeah, he's got a whole team. I was yeah. doing it all my... I had... My, I had um, you know, in the live show, I had my brother Saunders and I had Adam helping me. Mm. I remember one time we did the live show, IMO Live. I think we had two, one, two things stopped that in the end. First thing was, five episodes in, our contract with the studio was torn up and the studio told us they were knocking it down. So we had to find a whole new studio, which was like a pretty important part of it. Mm-hmm. And the, the other thing was, like I remember one of the shows, I had done an EA gig in Sydney. I'd, I'd, everyone else was hanging around in Sydney for a week or two because you are in Sydney. And I couldn't because I had all this stuff to come back for. I spent 40 hours in Sydney. It's more than that to get there and back. And I came from the airport straight on air to do the live show. And it's like, didn't help that I played football manager the whole way back and the whole way there with no sleep. (laughs) But I I was like, I'm now going to a live show, which I was sort of semi-producing really as well. And I'm having to deal with 
all the stuff with my ear, the guests, and not just, I, I was never just walking in, mm. doing the gig and walking off, I was helping it happen. And I was just like, I can't keep doing this, I can't do it all, because I'm not putting out stuff I'm proud of. I'm, I'm trying to do five things at once, I just want to do one thing well. Mm. And I decided that I was going to concentrate on hashtag from that yeah. point on, and that was going to be the thing I wanted to do. And then I started to think, you know what, I don't have to do it all myself. I might still do it online, I might still do it elsewhere, but I really, what I learned from that is, I think, of all those skill sets combined, some of which I'm a lot better at than I am other skills, I, the one I think I'm maybe best at and also best suited to do and want to do is the actual doing of the show, the actual presenting, the actual being on air and feeling the pressure, particularly when you're alive. I like it. I, I feel like I, I, I live off it and I think I'm really good in that environment. I don't mm. think things phase me. And I think that happened in time. I definitely wasn't always like that, but I feel cu- so comfortable in that environment. So I was like, right, I just want to make that my environment. I'm not going to produce everything. I'm not going to make all this world. I'm going to go and do it for other people. Mm-hmm. That's why I went to double down on the EA opportunities and to get all this experience because I felt it was such a weight off my shoulders. When I was going to a lot of those EA gigs, I was escaping this madness. All these people in my house yeah, working. Yeah. It's all self, self. No one's to blame, but for me, I've got it all on myself. No, but is it that you? Sometimes you feel your ambition makes you feel obliged to get bigger and do more things. And when you're creative as well, you go, oh, "I quite like that idea," and you want to try all those ideas yeah. as well. And actually, going back to those different ideas, what's amazing is probably in the moment you go, "Oh no, we're not, oh no, we're not doing it anymore." That means that's a failure. Three weeks down the line, everyone's everyone's, everyone's forgotten about it. Yeah. a lot of it. Which not not to say it's a bad show. The point is that there's always I, I've had that mo- a few moments where I go, oh no, we d- like I didn't get that video out today. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like people people care, but they also like they're off doing their own lives as well. So like they'll be back the next day when you actually get it out. Oh, I broke my neck for two or three years uh, along with Alex, basically obsessed about getting a video out every day, which was you know, the algorithm and all these things. Yeah, and it was a big thing for me, probably about a year and a half ago. I don't know when it was when I said, I'm not gonna put a video out today. And I just didn't, and allowed myself that time off. And now, now, and now I'm so busy, I barely put a video up on my channel anymore, to be honest, on Spencer FC. But um, yeah, that, that was a big thing for me. And then when I was going to those gigs, I'd get in this environment where suddenly I'd turn my phone off, I'd check WhatsApp at the end of the day or whatever, but I would go to a gig, I'd have a, a thing to do, that I was paid to do, that I was brought in to do, and I'd just worry about doing that. Yeah. It was like this escape, and I was like, that's, I love my, my, my own personal career to be like that. So then with hashtag, and we, we had to change it because it was too much work. So I had to get people in to help me. I brought in a guy called Neil, who's been great, and it's taken loads of pressure off me along with people like Seb and Alex and all the people that work on the, on the club already, mm. um, to the point now where I oversee things, I'm involved in all the big decisions, but I don't do a lot of the day-to-day stuff. Like they're all in the office about a mile from here, yeah. and I'm not. It's cracking on. So it allows me to do the things I think I'm better at, but also things that I think, um, help hashtag because if I go and do a good job on those things everything gets bigger yeah yeah that's so. true it gives you yeah, and it, that's, that space is important as well you know you need that for yourself otherwise you are going to get in your car drive a mile away and go to a cul-de-sac and <laughs> scream yeah. money up. but also me doing those gigs is how I earn money so it's like quite important yeah yeah <laughs> because it's, a, it's weird because I often miss hashtag things because of it I'm missing the last game of the season I missed the first ever game in non-league because I was at the E World Cup final working right. I'd love to be there mm. but not only do I also like where I am, I like the job I'm doing, but um, that's how I pay for like, hashtag stuff. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I need the, you know, we need those money. I don't, I'm the only person I think ever involved in hashtag that's never been paid. 
The hashtag. Right. Like, and, and oh, right. So like, this is your pocket money. Everyone well, on, more than pocket money. This is my money. So everyone on hashtags on a wage, of course, yeah. as they should be, mm. but I've never earned a penny from hashtag. And there's times where I could have put myself on a wage, but it would have stopped us doing something. Mm. So I said, right, I need to concentrate on getting my money from somewhere else so I can do that. Mm. Uh, I want to talk about you hitting 30 because reason uh, people might be starting to think there's a bit of a pattern going on here because like I've spoken to Lawrence about it it's quite a key moment for him Geordie I, I think I, I had that little moment myself as well but I remember seeing on Twitter and Instagram you yourself got a wee bit sentimental when it was your 30th you couldn't really believe it I got that impression that you're kind of wow like god this decade's been insane mm. for me when you kind of reflected on it being 30 what, what were your kind of what were your takings on it I feel like I actually went through those emotions a bit more when I hit 29. And I've, I've talked to a few people that feel the same about that. I think um, I, was, I know exactly where I was. I was in Vegas and I was seeing Bob Dylan in Vegas. And that was like, uh, what uh, Alex and I had gone to do for, uh, for my birthday. And um, yeah, I remember th- I'd always had this thing in my head for whatever reason. I'd always, especially when I was in that grind phase, like I call like a couple years where I was like, working unhealthily like mm. I still work hard but nothing like what I used to like when I lived in Hertfordshire for a bit and then moved first back to Essex I um you know before I started hashtag and built a, a thing around my mates some of them I hadn't seen in years I'd missed every social occasion I'd right. not had a day off I, I think I did go like a year and a half without a day off at one point right. um, no holidays nothing like that and um I knew that wasn't sustainable but it was a means to an end it definitely but worked yeah, helped me get to where I wanted to get but I kept saying to myself, when is this going to end? When, when will I end this? And I, and I put a number in my head just purely because of like aesthetically it looks good to be 30. And I was probably like 26, 27 at the time. And I said, I'm not doing this past 30. I was like, I, I might still work on the same stuff, but I'm not going to work this way. Mm. And I basically got to 29. I was like, I can't go another year. Right. I was like, I can't do this for another year. It's not going to end well. Like I need to change it now. So 29 became a really big um catalyst for me that was basically in between the age of 29 and 30 is when I moved the office out of my house it's when I hired a few people on hashtag to help me uh, lots of things changed that allowed me to get a normal life back which I think is really important yeah of course and um and you've you felt you you know you were kind of what what is what is the feeling when it's like that did you feel like you're drowning a little bit um I think a lot of people nowadays suffer from some sort of neuroticism I certainly do overthink a lot of things and it's very common nowadays. But um, I was sort of trapped where I knew I had the sickest job in the world but couldn't enjoy it. Mm. And I was like, I hated that I couldn't because I knew I was wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like I know I've got loads of friends and I know there's a lot of people out there in the world who don't have these opportunities, who would love to do 10% of what I do. It doesn't matter. At that point, you couldn't have told me, like you couldn't have said, Spence, cheer up. I'd be like, no, no, you don't understand how hard my life is right now. I'm like, I'm, first of all, I'm putting it all on myself. No one was telling me to do it. Not one person, even those closest to me, even those working in, in the business with me were saying to me, go on a holiday, chill out. They were trying to help me. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, couldn't get myself out of this. You know, you're always told about that hustle porn or whatever you called it, like you've got to do it. It's really hard to actually say to yourself, some things are more important than just working every day. To, I was like, what am I trying to get to? Yeah. And another thing that was quite big for me was I, and, and this is definitely not... Um, uh, like I basically realised that to a small extent I'd achieved a lot of what I tried to achieve. Now there's still loads of money to do, and I'm yeah, only a very course. small part of it. But I've done certain things that I already, at some point in my life, I thought I'd missed out on, I'd never get to do. 
you know, whether it was presenting things or having a football club or having a certain amount of subscribers or buying a house at a certain age. All these things I never set out to do, didn't think they were possible, and I'd done them. Mm. We're playing get Wembley Stadium. Yeah, of course. All these things. And I didn't, like, and, and it was a big thing for me because I'm someone that's always prioritised time as my main currency and always prioritised, like, um, being happy as the most important thing. I'd left good jobs that I sh- most people probably wouldn't have left in that mm. scenario. I'd chased things that I felt were going to be better for me than things that other people would have said are better, yeah. like financial yeah. things. You've reinvested your money into the product instead of into your own back pocket. Because I believed that I'd be happy. I'm not a financial guy. Like I didn't think having a bigger house or having a flash car or any of these things that I could have got would make me happy. Yeah. So I always did those things that I thought were better. And I got to that point and I was like, oh, I've done all these things. Like I, I know they can go further, but I'm aware enough to know like that's not it's not enough. It, it's, it's, it's never enough, to quote the song from Great Showman. Um, it's, uh, it's like, I say, I, and I find it fascinating, because I do know not everyone thinks like this, and I'm not saying I'm right. I think, if anything, I'm wrong. Like, I think, if anything, it's something I almost suffer from to an extent. Mm. I say to, like, my brother said, when he'd say he wants to, he'd love to, yeah, to retire at a certain age and play golf all day, I said, what will you do if you get there and you play that first round of golf and you go, shit, like... I'm not complete. Yeah. Or what do you, if you want to live on the beach all day and you get, you're 15, you retire, you're on the beach, first day on the beach, you have your pina colada and you go, this is my life now. And I felt to a very, very small extent I'd done that. To a very yeah, small extent I'd got I all these that. things and I didn't have... Especially when you're approaching thing. 30 as well because yeah. you're, kind of, you're at a point where that is a moment. That is a moment where you go, okay, you know, you can look back and see a decent amount of years and also professionally a decent amount of years as well. And so it is that moment to do that. So when you've been successful, I'd imagine there's an element of that addiction to to achieving for you like addiction to anything that it's actually it's the it's not the people you're not an alcoholic if you have one one beer a week it's the people having loads of it so it sounds like and and i was listening to another podcast that that you'd done and it was i I felt the same thing is that what i found quite interesting was that you're more concerned with the like you're more more concerned with enjoying the journey or, or the journey carrying on than getting to the, the top of whatever mountain it is. Like, actually, the thing yeah. that scares you is, like, is getting to the top of the mountain. So is that how you felt that? Yeah, well, I learned that at a really young age. I read a really good book. I, lo- I read a lot of books on this sort of issue, but the book I'm thinking of now is a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's not about motorcycles, but it's, um, it's got a load of good quotes in there. One of them is something like, the, uh, it's the sides of the mountain that sustain life, or whatever, and things like this. There's loads of little snippets in there, but... Um, I knew that already, this is the thing. I already knew those things. So it's playing on your I mind. just didn't, I'd forgotten them. So that's what happened. Like, weirdly, this stuff, I talk a lot, as you can tell, I'm more than happy to talk about this. <laughs> so I talk about it all the time with people. Watch time. I, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the period of my life that I probably achieved the most success in, in the way that 95% of the people in the world look at it, and that's because a lot of them don't have those things, and so it makes sense yeah, to look yeah, at it like that. And you know, you've got to have ambitions, you've got to want to achieve things, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but the, that period of life, I got furthest away from my actual true personality, if that makes sense. I, I felt more further removed from who I actually am and want to be. What year was that, sorry? Well, the period from, 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 from leaving Copper 90 to, to where I was about a year ago. I felt all the success, all the things it had brought me, all the nice things, and the kudos from other people and the feel-good factor that you've done this and you've done that yeah, didn't yeah. really carry that much weight. And I was like, huh. Like, and I remember, could remember, you know, being 23, living in a one-bed flat in Clapham, 
barely having enough money to pay rent and being more at peace mentally. So mm. I was like, I need to get back to that. Don't even have to abandon everything. I just need to reprioritize the way I do things, and that's yeah. what I've done in the last sort of year or so. So um, it doesn't necessarily equate to you more. You find things. it easy to kind of once you have that moment of like, okay, well, hang on a minute, for you to then right put things in place and, and action it. Were you able to do that quite quick? Fairly easily. I mean, doing the things that I needed to do, really needed to do, took time, like getting an office and getting staff, because you can't rush that. Sure. And that was a hard period. That was the period where I drove to the, the random road and sat in the car for a bit. <laughs> but once I got through that, I did feel a lot better. And um, I knew, yeah, I needed to just change up the way I, the way I worked. Like, I have more time now than I ever had before. Uh, to, like, like, I could take on more projects or I could, you know, do something add a whole new side to what I do. Mm. But instead I'm trying to read more and I'm trying to learn some insurance at the moment and I'm trying to walk my dog. I, did, I work in the most flexible working environment in the world and I had a dog walker for two and a half years. For two and a half years, not just me, me and Alex, both worked, lived in this house with Joe in the house and didn't walk him most wow. days, apart from the weekend. We had a dog walker come. And it's only actually because the dog walkers sacked him off <laughs> that I've started walking him again. And I'm like, why was I not doing this for the last few years? Every day I get out, walk in the, especially in this weather, Walk around for a bit, so good for you. So I'm trying to do things like that. I still have loads of commitments, do you know what I mean? I'm never, course, I'm never yeah, short yeah, yeah. of stuff to do. Yeah. Always got something to do every single day, work-wise. But enough, I don't allow it to be like it was before. I take time out, I say, guys, I'll get back to you about that tomorrow. Mm. And, um, um, I don't, uh, Alex is a, that's, you know, that's, that's a private thing. But like, off, uh, moving forward, how are, you, how are you finding single life? How are you finding like, not, and not the, the dating or whatever, yeah. just kind of being on your own again? Have you no, very weird. to that? I've got two of the hashtag boys moved in with me now. <laughs> so uh, I've got hashtag Harry and uh, where's Tansel living in there now. Yeah. Um, the, I wouldn't imagine that's the same. No, it's <laughs> definitely a lot messier. Um, no, to be fair, they've been fine. They've only been here about a week. But no, it's, it's very strange. Really looks like that after a week. Yeah. Jesus. Been a week. A week, a week today. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm learning a lot about myself, to be honest as a person like because mm. you do live in so I was in an eight-year relationship and, and, and like it's a long time you 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 become inseparable and it's a great relationship as well like yeah. an amazing person so um when you're suddenly in this in this new world same with the dog walking thing I probably hadn't cooked a meal in about eight years and I mean that I probably hadn't ever I probably done my own washing once mm. And that's not because I refused to do it necessarily. It's just I had this amazing girlfriend who wanted to do those things and was able to do those things. And it just became, we all did our own, you know, I, had, I was probably a little bit busier work-wise. I had a lot of other projects that kept me away. So it was like we, we fit, we helped each other out. Yeah, yeah, you seemed like a, a, an amazing team. So uh, now, uh, now the, I'm like washing my own clothes and I'm, uh, it sounds ridiculous, but like it's a new thing for me to do. And, and I, I guess the other thing as well is that like, you know, when you've had a, when you've had a crap day, whoever it is, when you're with someone, you, you could get you get to go back to that person and yeah. it make, makes life a little bit a little bit easier a lot of the time. Whereas I guess when once you don't get that anymore after eight years, I, I'm guessing that's um, it's a new thing to again to acclimatise to. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's still very very fresh. So um, maybe ask me again in a year. I don't know. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> sounds good. Uh, here's a question that I ask everyone. I'm intrigued to know what you you're going to say. Uh, what keeps you up at night? Hmm. Well, to be honest, one thing that I've got better at in the last few months, uh, I'm a little bit, I, I think a part of that whole little cloud, if you like, where I was just not myself for a number of years, I was a very, you very, you become very involved in the bubble of your life, particularly on YouTube, you think everything's the most important thing and whatever. I'm a bit more aware of the wider issues now, I think, so I'm trying to be better environmentally, I'm trying to recycle more, I'm trying to um, 
just do things more responsibly in the outside world. So I wouldn't say I'm some ecological warrior and I'm going to go on, and I'm going to go and start, you know, protesting and whatnot. But I do think more about that sort of stuff and other people. Um, I want to, I made a point of doing the cha big charity project last year. I want to keep doing stuff like that because I do want to help, if possible, people in other scenarios to me because that was a big wake up call for me actually when I was in one of those frames of mind last year where, or maybe two years ago where I was thinking like, ah, oh, I was basically feeling sorry for myself and I had really no reason to. And then, uh, I don't know if you remember, but um, there was a big fire in Leicester. Do you remember there was a big fire in Leicester? It was an arson uh, attack and his family died. Right. But it turned out that the kid was a fan of Hashtag, we found out. And um, yeah, it's like basically his whole family, I think his mum, dad, him and maybe a couple of siblings and one had survived. And it's really sad. And the, the people from his school got in touch with us and said, like, is there anything you can do? Raise some money for the... the, the oh, I can't remember. I, I don't want to get it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there were some people that were still alive and they needed some help. And, and there's anything we could do. And we did a little auction thing and we tried to raise some money for them. But And I did a little... I remember doing a little talk to the players at that game. I can't remember what game it was, saying, like, we should remember how lucky we are. Not just that we even get to play football full stop. Yeah. But we actually get to play football in this ridiculous scenario where we're getting those people watch us online and we're going to go and do these crazy things. So let's do it for this this lad. And that was a big thing for me where I was like, wow, like how how have I got the cheek to ever feel sorry for myself when you've got people that just don't live anymore? Because uh, I was I was uh, listening to this thing on um, Blinkist. It was talking about I think it was a book called Flourish, and it was talking about happiness and the elements that people need, regardless of wealth or whatever, to be happy. And one you know one's like positive meaning i think one's engagement with other one's relationships with people but one's actually one's a sort of a positive impact i think it, i might be getting this wrong myself but doing something for others doing something that gives you perspective mm. doing something however small that makes you feel like you're doing a bit better for the rest of the world is actually one of those key elements yeah so it's interesting that you, that you say well that. i think you, you get if you're lucky enough to be at a point where you can spend time to help other people that's really good mm. and you not everyone can do that unfortunately so but yeah I think that's something that I'd like to do more of uh, where possible and yeah I, I, if I am kept up at night I usually just put Bob Ross on on Netflix you ever watch that? Bob Ross? <laughs> yeah he's a painter guy <laughs> no, you ever seen him? No, no. Someone watch this one no, Bob Ross he's got a big afro American guy it's all filmed in the 60s it's like old stuff it's like Neil Buchanan art attack right. really basic and oh he just, and he just does, does it really nice so is that painting. on Netflix? he's got the most soothing voice in yeah. the world and he just Last question then, in a, in a year's time, where, where do you want to be in terms, of, in terms of your career? I know hashtag you look to, like, uh, look to carry that on because you want it to be sustainable, but for, for yourself, well, if we were chatting in a year's time, where would you, you want to be? Well, I'd like to keep doing the stuff I'm doing with VA. Uh, it's a really pivotal time for FIFA eSports at the moment. Like in the last month, we've done the first ever ePremier League and the first um, E-Nations. Mm. So we're 20 of the football associations from around the world actually having an official representative or two official representatives uh, battle it out last weekend. So there's all these firsts happening. I was there right at the beginning of FIFA eSports, so I want to see it through. Yeah. And I'd love to keep getting those opportunities. Hopefully I will. From a hashtag perspective, I, I hope that our team can perform both well in eSports and in football. And we have two two deliverables if you like we've got to perform but we've also got to entertain mm. and we need to keep our audience entertained so that's very important to me and collect fans and like, I love it for example when I go to games and I hear people talk about us as we uh, a guy will go we're, we're really unlucky that game and I'm thinking man you really support us that's quality yeah, that's I was out for some drinks on Monday night and a guy come up to me 25 
maybe, and he said, oh, my name's Matt, I've been at every home game this season. I've never seen him before. So he either lied, or I just, because it's a big ground. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm only in one position, so I might not have seen it. He was telling me about all these games, he's definitely a fan. Amazing. And I was like, wow, it's amazing. It's glad this guy's come up to me, and he's been to every game in my football club, mm. and I've never seen him before. Um, and I, I want people to discover hashtag. I, this has happened multiple times. People have come up, people have been at a game in a hashtag kit, not knowing who I am. I love that. I'm like, <laughs> all right, more they, of that. It means they haven't come through me. They've come because they've found the football club right. somewhere. You know what I mean? It's going to come back around as well. You're going to turn back into a FIFA player and now I'm going to know your faces. <laughs> yeah. uh, Spencer, yeah. mate, thank you so much for inviting me into your, your home. Uh, let's go watch, go watch the boys come in the on. league. It'd be really awkward if we haven't, by the way. <laughs> no. How long can you play? It's a hashtag pro. Oh my God. Ref! How long? It's 10 to 10. It's 10 to 10, Ref. It's past my bedtime, ref. Why you I love that from Tasha. No goal kick. Yeah! Come on, Come on! 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 Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.